Sister Amber. That's Amber Noel. Give her a hand. Amen. We're going to read a very short verse and then one that's a little bit longer. And I'm going to talk to you today about not being deceived in the arena of relationships. Most everybody in here is here because of a relationship. If you're not, I want to meet you after church. Some of you are going to get that on the way home. Now, let's read 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Read it with me since it's so short. It's great. How's it begin? Don't be deceived. About what? Bad company corrupts. Now, let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6. A little bit smaller up there, but I think you can see it. Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. So who's he talking to here? Believers. He says, how can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? Uh, What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? And how can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? Well, that's pretty clear, isn't it? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you right now for your blessing. Open your word to us, we pray, and give us wisdom with the relationships of our life. In Jesus' name. Now, before you're seated, I want to let you know that uh, we now have a room for mothers whose children act up. So if your child acts up, you're free to take them out and minister to them. Oh, it's not ready? It's not ready? Okay, well, then you're in with me today. Let me just change it. If they act up, take them out in the foyer and minister to them and then bring them back in. How's that? All right. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, don't be deceived. You can be seated. God bless you. Now, we started a series last time on just the simple title, Be Not Deceived. Four passages in the Bible deal with not being deceived. They begin with that little phrase, be not deceived. And they deal with these four topics, consequences. We dealt with that last week. And that was a red hot message. If you weren't here, you ought to get that CD. Consequences, what you sow, you reap. Today, relationships, be not unequally yoked. Next time, be not deceived by false Christs. And then the last one, be not deceived by cultural values. Because the values of our culture are not the values of the Bible, I can tell you. So we're going to be dealing with those things. And today I want to talk to you about who your friends are. You know, when I got saved, God dealt with me immediately uh, about who I was hanging with, who I was running with. I came out of the drug culture, in all honesty. And I met Christ in juvenile home, where I got in a lot of trouble for drugs. But I had a lot of friends from that world. And I was popular with my group. I knew a lot of people, and we had, we had our gang, our group. And I'd known them for years, grown up with them. But when I got saved, here's what the Lord made very clear to me. If you're going to get where I want you to go, and you're going to be who I want you to be, you've got to hang with people going in the same direction. Let me put it another way. If you think you can get where God wants you to be and be everything he wants you to be, 
and hang with people who aren't going in the same direction you are, you're deceived. He gave this verse because apparently it's an area where we human beings are easily tripped up. It's one of those sins that easily besets us. We attach to people. We have natural affinity with people. We make friends based on emotions and things in common and uh, whatnot. And if we're not careful, we can hook up with people who are not going in the same direction we are, and they're a drag on our faith, and they don't respect our values. And you can't say to them, hey, would you pray with me about this or that? Because they don't know what you mean. Because those friends are not going down that narrow road that leads to life. And Jesus said there's only two roads, the narrow road that leads to life and the broad road that leads to destruction. He said it's a minority that go down that narrow road and it's a majority that go down the broad road. Now, if you're on that narrow road, then the Bible says how can two walk together unless they're agreed? So you can't be unequally yoked with somebody who doesn't believe, who's not in the light, who doesn't know him, and successfully walk down that narrow road and reach your destiny in God. I found out that it was crucial who I hung around with. Matter of fact, let me tell you that nobody wields the power of influence over your life more than your friends. Not anybody. And let me also share with you a fact of life. Where you are in life five years from now is going to depend on two things. The strength of your commitment to God and who your friends were. Guarantee you. Where you are a year from now, three years from now, five years from now, at the end of your life is going to depend on how strong your commitment to God was and who your friends were. Your friends ought to be a reflection of you. That is, if you're seeking the Lord, you ought to be hanging with people who do the same. If, if you love the Lord, you ought to be running with people who do the same. If, if you want God's best, you ought to be hanging with people who want exactly the same. You want to be running around with people, hanging with people, befriending people deeply who share your values, share your God, share your Christ, share your dreams, share your vision, and who will enhance your faith and strengthen your walk and spur you on to your destiny in God. And if they're not doing that, then I want to submit to you today that they're not the kind of friends that God wants you to have as a believer. Now, you might say, well, Jeff, everybody knows this. Why are you going into all this? Uh, because I get it. I mean, this is as easy as sowing and reaping. Well, if we get it that easily, why does the Bible say, you better watch out that you're not deceived? Because this is an area where we trip up. And young people trip up big time. You go to high school. I can't imagine me in high school or being in college in this day and not hanging with the right people. If, if you're going to walk with the Lord the way you really need to, you've got to get tight in a local church Make the right kind of friends and stay there. That's the way you got to do it. <clears throat> Amen. Now, if you think that it's easy and this is not that big a deal, I encourage you to take a look at the wise, strong, godly, and anointed people in Scripture who ended up being corrupted and ruined by bad relationships, wrong relationships. For instance, when Israel was going into the promised land, God warned Listen to Deuteronomy 12. Here they, they have been delivered from Egypt. 
They have crossed the sea. They've crossed the wilderness. They're about to cross the Jordan and go into the promised land, and God's got a concern about them. Now, you would think that he would be concerned about the giants they were about to confront, but that wasn't God's concern because he knew they would bring the giants down. God was concerned about a little thing called seduction. He was concerned about them relating to people whose idolatry and godlessness would rub off on them. Listen to what he says. When the Lord your God cuts off from before you the nations which you are going in to dispossess, take heed to yourself. Can you say that with me? Take heed to yourself. Watch yourself. Be careful. Pay attention to your own heart. That you are not ensnared to follow these people. That you do not inquire after their gods, saying, how do these nations serve their gods? What, what is their faith? Let's get pluralistic. Why can't we all just get along? Let's blend in. God said, I don't want you blending. I don't want you just becoming one of them. I don't want you being watered down and diluted. I want you to maintain your distinctive identification in God and your relationship with the one true God. I want you to be a light to the world. And if you're blending in with everybody else, who can tell the difference? And it's the same now. He says, I will also do like for every abomination to the Lord, which he hates, they have done to their gods. For they burn even their sons and daughters. Catch this. They burn their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods. Now, I know this is rough, but I got to tell you what that means. There was an idol of Moloch, one of the idols, one of the, the, the false gods they worshiped. And they would heat this thing up where it was red hot. And they would place their children in the red hot hands of this false god to appease this God that didn't even exist. And God Almighty was concerned that his own people could be seduced into such an atrocity. You say, well, no way. Well, we're about to see way. Now hold that thought. And I want you to think with me about Solomon for a minute, one of the great luminaries of the Bible. Now I said Solomon, you thought of what word? Wisdom. Because Solomon and wisdom are like twins. We immediately, they, he's got the wisdom of Solomon. She's got the wisdom of Solomon. Let's look at Solomon. The reign of Solomon, the, the reign when he ruled over Israel, is called by historians the golden age of Israel. The whole time he ruled, there was no war. It was a time of peace. He reaped the peace and the victory that his father David had won for him. And so you look back at when Solomon ruled, it's called the golden age until the end of his life. He reigned over all kingdoms from the river Euphrates to the land of the Philistines, as far as the border of Egypt. <clears throat> all of these other kings brought taxes, brought tribute to Solomon, and they served him. He was on top of the pile. He was the mightiest king over the mightiest nation on the entire earth. He was blessed magnificently by God. Solomon was famous and known for his wisdom. The Bible says kings from every nation came to consult him and to hear the wisdom God had given him. When the queen of Sheba came to see him, she looked and she could not believe her eyes. And she said, everything I heard, the half was not told me. 
of what God has done for you. This is incredible, magnificent. But not only was he wise, Solomon was rich beyond belief. Let me tell you what he received every year in gold. Gold alone, not silver, not brass, not timber, just the gold. Solomon received $630 million worth. So every two years, he was a billionaire and some change. That's just the gold. Filthy rich. His intellectual powers were immense. His IQ was off the charts. Not only was he anointed with God's wisdom, but he was brilliant in his own mind. God gifted him with an incredible mind. The Bible says Solomon alone spoke 3,000 proverbs. That means he wrote down 3,000 wise sayings about life, 3,000 of them. And he wrote 1,005 songs. He was not only a philosopher, not only a great theologian, but he was a songwriter. He was a poet. He was multi-gifted. He was what we would call a renaissance man. He had all these things. His mind was amazing, but it didn't stop there. He spoke authoritatively about nature. He was a great observer, a keen observer of what God had created. The Bible says he spoke of trees, of animals, of birds, of insects, and of fish. My kind of guy. So he was not only a profound theologian and philosopher and poet and songwriter, are you ready? He was also a botanist, a zoologist, an ornithologist, a herpetologist, and an ichthyologist. And if you don't know what those mean, get the CD, take it home, and look it up in the dictionary. Solomon put Leonardo da Vinci, who's considered one of the most brilliant men in history, put him in the shade. He was brilliant. He was gifted. He was anointed. He was called. He was chosen. He was a king. When he began his rule over Israel, he prayed a prayer that greatly blessed God. It says, he prayed, give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. Would to God Washington, D.C. would pray that prayer. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? God answered his prayer. He had a right heart, gifted mind, anointed spirit. All these multifaceted abilities. Yet in spite of all these advantages, church, Solomon was destroyed by relationship mistakes he made in his life. Isn't that amazing? If it can happen to him, where are we? God had told his people in the book of Deuteronomy, he said, when you get into that land where all these giants are and all these pagan nations are and all these heathen people are and all these idol worshipers are, he said, you shall not give your daughter to their sons nor take their daughter for your son for they will turn your sons away from following me. I'm going to read that again. If you let them connect with the wrong people, they will turn them away from following me to serve other gods. Now, here's what we say sometimes. <clears throat> we say, yeah, but Pastor Jeff, I'm so spiritually strong, I can easily hang around with people who aren't walking with God because I will pull them up. Let me wake you up. Let me wake you up. Nine times out of ten, they will pull you down. Nine and a half times out of ten, they will pull you down. 
So we're, we're told that King Solomon, with all of this, and he knew what God had said, don't intermarry, don't get in there with the heathens and really get to know them. It says he married many foreign women, a thousand of them. Can you imagine his Valentine's Day? <laughs> Where do you get all those cards? That's a lot of flowers. He needed all that gold. He went and he broke God's word. He intermarried with these heathen women, these godless women who didn't know Jehovah God. They were idol worshipers. And the Bible says, here's what happened to him. As Solomon grew old, this wise, gifted man, think of it, his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. Solomon started strong. He ended weak. He started promisingly. He ended tragically. How did such a gifted, brilliant, called, chosen, wise man end up like that? Be not deceived. Bad company will corrupt good character. No matter who you are, how bright you are, how gifted you are, how talented you are. We need to be wise about who we pull in tight. I knew it was going to be real quiet here today. I knew I would not have to edit out a bunch of clapping. You know that the nation of Israel also fell into the same trap time and again. You read the book of Judges. Israel fell over and over again chronically. Every single time God delivered them and set them on the right path, they fell again. You know how they did it? Wrong relationships. I found something in the 106th Psalm that blew me away. I saw that in Psalms 106, we're given a graphic description of how Israel was seduced into idolatry away from the living God by engaging in wrong relationships. Remember, God had told them, when you go into these cities, I want you to destroy them all. And don't get near their gods. But Psalms 106 tells us when they got in these cities, they did not destroy the peoples concerning whom the Lord had commanded them. Now watch what happened. Step one, they mingled with the Gentiles. That word mingled is from a Hebrew word meaning cut deals, uh, do business transactions, communicate with, share with, relate with. They mingled. Now that doesn't sound like a dangerous word to me. It sounds like kind of like chewing the fat, right? Around the water cooler at work, just mingling. But they began to get to know these people and they began to cut deals with them and they began to, to, to watch them. And the Bible says that step number two, they went from mingling to learning. It says they learned their works. Now listen carefully to me. There's no way you can hang around with people and not learn their worldview, not learn their morality, not learn the way they do things, the way they handle life, the way they handle stress. The Bible even says, don't hang around with an angry man, lest you learn his ways and get a snare for your soul. It's amazing. Most of what we pick up is not taught, it's caught. It's caught when you don't even know it. It's hitting you when you're not even aware of it. So they mingled. They, they first mingled and then they learned. They learned the very things God had commanded them to never learn. The word works. It says they learned their works. That's talking about the works of the hands of the heathen. 
Well, what was the works of their hands? They fashioned and created idols. And then they would fall down and worship those idols. That's what they did. So what did the people of God learn? They learned literally to make idols out of metal, stone, wood. They learned to do what the godless were doing. And if you hang around with the wrong people a lot, steadily, and they are pulled into your inner circle, there's no way you're not going to learn their ways. There comes a time when you've got to protect your soul. I'm not telling you to be snooty or uppity or elitist or any of that. The Bible doesn't say that. I'm going to get into that in just a minute. It's just saying be wise, be careful. Because having mingled and learned to make idols, they went down a third step. It says they served their idols. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. So they began with mingling. They moved to learning. Then it went down to serving. Now I'm serving the gods that God sent me into the promised land to destroy. Mingled, then learned, then served, and they came into bondage to their gods. They came literally into bondage to idolatry. Idolatry got a grip on them, and they began to worship a God that didn't exist. Idols that couldn't talk, couldn't see, couldn't hear, couldn't feel. Nothing. But they worshiped them, became bondage. Did you know that what you worship, you will serve? And what you worship and serve, you will become like? They that make them are like them. Your character will never rise higher than your God. Whatever your God is, that's what you're going to become like. Because we become like what we worship. But it didn't end there. So they mingled, they learned, then they served. But then it went down into an an area that's impossible to believe, but it's written. 106 verse 37. They even sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons and shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed, the idols of Canaan. The very thing that these idol, idol worshipers were doing with their children, God's anointed and appointed and chosen and selected, the apple of his eye, ended up doing the very same thing. They offered their children in the red-hot hands of Moloch. Now, if, if you and I had gone to Israel when they first started mingling and said, hey, hey, If you don't stop mingling, you're going to end up sacrificing your children into the hands of a red-hot idol. They would have said, no way. All we're doing is just talking a little bit and, and cutting a few deals with them. But here's the deal. It's seductive. When you hang around the wrong people, first you mingle, then you learn, then you serve whatever they're serving, then you sacrifice to their God. You sacrifice your life. You sacrifice whatever. How many times have we seen a young person in church get out there with the wrong crowd, and before you know it, they're mingling, and then before you know it, they're learning their ways. Then before you know it, they're serving the things that brought those people into bondage in the first place. And then before you know it, they're sacrificing their whole life on the altar of a drug or alcohol or immorality or something else. It matters who you run with. I know this is a strong word, but i got to tell you, the Bible says, be not deceived. Be not deceived. We, we need to know that we're not immune to such a thing. And those of you that are single and you're looking for somebody to marry, you better watch what pond you're fishing in. 
You better watch what pond you're fishing in. You better fish where the fish are clean and they think like you have the faith you do. And if you're dating somebody who's lost and you're saved, break it off today. Well, Pastor Jeff, I can't hurt their feelings. It's better to hurt their feelings now than hurt their feelings for the rest of your life. But Pastor Jeff, I love them and my love will save them. Wake up. Can I give you a reality check? The Bible says, who are you, woman, that you will save that man? And who are you, man, that you will save that woman? In other words, you have no idea. But my love will overcome and overwhelm and triumph. Get off it. Get off it. I've been around too long. I've pastored too long. I've seen too many tears and regrets and heartaches. Be not to see bad company corrupts good character. Let me make this real simple. How many of you say, we all need friendships, don't we? God made us to communicate, to relate. We are wired, hardwired for relationship. And if we don't have relationships, something in us just dies. So we need it. And it's fine because that's the way God made us. But here's what the scripture advises. The righteous should choose his friends carefully. Not based on a natural affinity you have with someone, getting along with someone, just really liking someone. That's not what you base a friendship on. You base a friendship on, are they going down the road I'm going? Are they worshiping the God I worship? Are they after Jesus like I am? Is, is their fire like my fire? Is their faith like my faith? Is their commitment like my commitment? That's what you judge, not whether or not you get along. There's a lot of people you get along with who will drag you down. Now, let me, there's three levels of friendship, and let me give them to you real quickly. Say it with me. Acquaintances, casual friendships, and BFFs. I didn't know what that was last night. I found out this morning. Best friends forever. It's a texting thing. So I want to be current and up to date in my messages. But we would call it best friends, close friends, intimate friends. So there's three levels here. Acquaintance. Here's acquaintance. When you've got an acquaintance in your life, they may or may not be saved, and they may not share your values. That's okay, because they're only acquaintances. An acquaintance happens when you meet somebody at a store, or you're on a bowling league together, or you cycle like I do, and I meet, meet people all the time who cycle, and I'll talk to them, chew the fat with them, share the Lord with them. It, it's just an acquaintance. It's not that big a deal. Circumstances bring acquaintances together, and when those circumstances change, you move on. And that's the way acquaintances happen. There's no emotional strings attached. There's no real bond of the heart. It was just, hey, you know, we kind of, we bowled together. See you later. It's been great. God bless you. Did you know that Paul talked about that level of relationship? And he said, I don't want you to avoid such people. And that's what I mean when I tell you. I'm not teaching elitism, being snooty, being holier than thou, refusing to talk to people. That's not what God's called us to do. On the acquaintance level, we are to use those acquaintances to share our faith. You're going to meet people that I'm never going to meet. You're going to meet them at the workplace, at the water cooler, out at your house, your neighbors, your friends. You're going to meet people I'm never going to meet. 
And I really do believe that God designed the acquaintance level so that we could share Jesus with those people. Listen to what Paul said. He said, when I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. Well, wait a minute. He goes on and says, I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or are greedy or cheat people or worship idols. You would have to leave this world to avoid people like that. You'd have to get on a spaceship and go to another planet to avoid people like that. He said to the Corinthian believers, he says, I don't want you avoiding those people. All of us ought to have lost people that we talk to and share with and who know where our faith is. That's the acquaintance level. But then there's the casual friendship. This level goes beyond the how's the weather level or what about them cowboys? You know, guys can meet just saying that. Just go anywhere, guys, and cowboys, and they all gather around you. It's like a buzzword. Tony Romo. Well, these days they go the other way. No, I'm, I'm sorry. That was mean. Your association with casual friendships, it's limited and fairly shallow. As with the acquaintance level, there's no real commitment, no real strong emotional bond. But listen carefully to me. It's this level, the casual level, where you need to exercise scrutiny, especially if it looks like it's developing to be a BFF, a best friend, a close friend, a tight friend. You need to exercise scrutiny, best friends, intimate friendships. These are the folks we pull in close. This is where the verse comes into play. The righteous should choose carefully. If you look at, and you can see, either in a friend relationship or a romance, that it's developing from casual to maybe closer, that's when you need to do some judging and say, is their faith like mine, commitment like mine, walk like mine? Do they think like me? That is, do they have the worldview that I do? Consider the end of that relationship, not just the beginning. Consider the end. So you look at it very closely and you say, okay, now that I can see this person is getting closer, I'm going to make some wise choices before my heart is so involved, I can't stop and don't want to stop. The best friends, the BFFs, we, we pull them in real close. We're transparent with these people. They know everything about us. When you have a fight with your spouse, you go outside and you get, find a phone and you call your best friend. You can't believe what they said to me. You can't believe what she did or he did. And your best friend, even if you're wrong, they don't judge you. They may tell you you're wrong, but you can take it because it's your best friend. Nobody can talk to you like your best friend. Amen? Nobody can talk to you like your best friend, and, and guess what? We are with best friends all the time. Everywhere we go, everything we do, the best friend is always there. The Bible says a best friendship is very powerful. Let me give you a newsflash. Did you know that your best friend, the people you hang with closest who are most in your life, can affect the way you look? You say, Where, where's that? Listen to this. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Sharpens means chisels. 
Countenance means the expression on your face. You know what I know about the expression on your face today? Whatever is in your heart is going to show on your face. And so who you run with affects the condition of your heart. And as it affects the condition of your heart, it affects the way you look, your expression. Have you ever noticed that people you're around the most affect the look on your face? You know how I can tell a marriage is happy? I look at the wife. If she looks like she just lost her best friend and that's the way she always looks, I wonder about that marriage. Smile, Kathy, real quick. There we go. <laughs> but, and I, and I'm, I guarantee you, this is something that marriage counselors look at. They look at expressions on the woman because the woman is the emotional one, the one that's more sensitive. And you can pretty much tell a lot by just watching that woman's expression. Positive, fulfilling, edifying friendships and romances and marriages create a look of joy, peace, and strength on our countenance. But an unhealthy relationship, I'll guarantee you, will chisel out a hard, bitter, downcast, and dark expression. If you don't believe that, think back to the first signal that you had that your teenager was running around with the wrong people. What clued you in? Remember how their countenance changed? Their smile disappeared if they hooked up with the wrong people. They got sad, furrow-browed, angry, distant. Their countenance told the story. It's this level of friendship the Bible tells us to be wise about. This one. Let me tell you why. Because on this level, the ones that are closest, their habits will likely become yours, their worldview yours, their language, yours, their morals, yours, and their walk with God, or the lack thereof, yours. Say, so, well, how do you know that, Jeff? How can two walk together except they be agreed? I can't walk with you if your worldview is different and your faith is different and, and, the, and your morals are different. There's no way I can walk with you. We need to be in agreement. And then we can walk together. So whoever you bring in close, you've got to be in agreement with. Don't ever give up your walk with God for any other human being. Don't do it. Be not deceived, says Paul. Let's stand together. And I'm going to tell you quickly, I want you to repeat this with me. Three quick things a good friendship should accomplish. Say it with me. Strengthen your walk with God. Reinforce your godly convictions. And enhance your destiny. That's what you're looking for. Father, we thank you for the wisdom of not being deceived about relationship dynamics. The power of a relationship. I pray for every young person, every adult, everyone here. Help us, Lord, to be decisive enough and strong enough, wise enough to only bring in to the inner circle those we can agree with about the crucial issues. And if you today can say, Pastor Jeff, this really spoke to me and I need God's strength 
to either distance myself from a relationship that is dragging me down or to wait for his best and not settle for. If you can say that, I want you to raise your hand. Many of you today. I'm going to pray for you right where you are. Keep your hand up. I want you to say this with me and, and the rest of you can sure pray with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I give you the relationships of my life. I want to glorify you. Help me to be wise and strong that I would only allow in to the best friend, inner circle place, those that I agree with, who will strengthen my faith and whose faith I can strengthen. In Jesus' name. And give the Lord a hand of praise for this today. Thank you, Lord.